Okay, guys, I want to start this morning by asking, uh, asking you all a question. Do any of you know the vision statement uh, for the company that you work for? Anybody? Do any of you know the vision statement for the company that you work for? Some of you are maybe are self-employed, so you've written it yourselves, I don't know. If you, if you do, can I, I'd love to hear someone share with us their company vision statement. Oh, okay, I don't know about that anymore, huh? Okay, we'll, we'll leave that then. Uh, do, we, <laughs> do any of you know Midtown's vision statement? You would have to be around here, have to have been around here for a long time because we don't talk about it very often. <laughs> oh, what is it, Josh? Oh, okay, okay. Gospel transformation through multiple congregations. Give that woman a gold star, huh? Uh, love it. Right, so when we talk about vision statements, we're talking about these kind of short, pithy sayings that are supposed to kind of sum up everything about who you are, your company is, or what, what your purpose is in life, more or less, right? And I think the fact that none of you could uh, recall the company vision statements, right, or at least with enough confidence to share them, kind of indicates for us the way that those statements often uh, make their way into our lives, which is that they don't, right? That again, they're, they're these pithy sayings that, are, that, are, uh, <laughs> that often are used so that the people who manage us have something to talk to us about to try to motivate us to get, to, get us to do our jobs. And that's, that's fine as far as it goes. But when we're talking about vision here this month, because that's what we're talking about, we're talking about something so much bigger than that. So much bigger than a pithy saying that you are gonna forget anyway. And we're talking about so much more than my personal ideas about what God wants to do in this community. We're talking about something, we're talking about a vision that is so expansive that you could bring your whole life into it, under it, and that you would get to the end of your life and you would say, man, that is a life that is well lived. That is a life that was worth living because of the, the vision that was driving my life forward. That could encompass your entire life from, from cradle to grave. And the only, the only vision that is big enough for that is the vision that's presented to us in the scriptures. It's the vision of uh, our triune God. Three persons and one God. And what we've been talking about specifically is uh, how that's revealed to us in Christ alone. That really, it's our risen, resurrected, ascended Lord who is our vision. Uh, And I'm gonna read to you this, there's this prayer of uh, St. Patrick You might know him as uh, the reason that we wear green sometime in March. But Patrick was this this kid in the 400s who was kidnapped from Scotland and made a slave on the neighboring island of Ireland. And he escaped from slavery, uh, made it back to Scotland, and he had a dream. And in his dream, he heard the people of Ireland asking him to come back and teach them about Jesus. And so that's what he did. He spent the rest of his life uh, sharing Jesus with the people who had previously enslaved him. And this is the, the end of a really long prayer, but uh, the end of St. Patrick's prayer. He says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. 
Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. I arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in a threeness, through a confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. This was a man who was captured by the vision of Christ. And that's, that's what we're talking about this morning. What would it look like for us to be a community who is captured by that very same vision? And we've talked about over the last few weeks uh, about who Christ is, about what it means to proclaim Christ. We've talked about what it means to be devoted to Christ. And in the passage that we're gonna look at this morning, what we're gonna see is that Christ's love is invitational. It's a love that says, come. And that because that's the love that we have received, that we want to be a community who is that invitational, that we want to be a community that says, come. So I'm going to invite June to come on up. (laughs) And June is going to read our passage for us this morning uh, out of John 4. Okay, John 4, 5 through 30, and 39 through 42. In Samaria, Jesus came to the town called Sychar, which is near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his long trip, so he sat down beside the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to get some water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. This happened while his followers were in town buying some food. The woman answered, I'm surprised that you asked me for a drink. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Jesus answered, You don't know what God can give you, and you don't know who I am, the one who asked you for a drink. If you knew, you would have asked me, and I would have given you living water. The woman said, Sir, Where will you get that living water? The well is very deep, and you have nothing to get water with. Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? He is the one who gave us this well. He drank from it himself, and his sons and his animals drank from it too. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but anyone who drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. The water I give people will be like a spring flowing inside them. It will bring them eternal life. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and you won't have to come back here to get more water. Jesus told her, Go and get your husband and come back. The woman answered, But I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right to say you have no husband. That's because, although you have had five husbands, the man you live with now is not your husband. That much was the truth. The woman said, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where people must worship. Jesus said, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you will not have to be in Jerusalem or on this mountain to worship the Father. You Samaritans worship something you don't understand. 
we Jews understand what we worship, since salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. In fact, that time is now here. And these are the kind of people the Father wants to be his worshipers. God is spirit, so the people who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is the one called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus said, he is talking to you now. I am the Messiah. Just then, Jesus' followers came back from town. They were surprised because they saw Jesus talking with a woman, but none of them asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to town. She told the people there, a man told me everything I have ever done. Come see him, maybe he is the Messiah. So the people left the town and went to see Jesus. Many of the Samaritan people in, ta- in that town believed in Jesus. They believed because of what the woman had told them about him. She had told them, he told me everything I have ever done. The Samaritans went to Jesus. They begged him to stay with them. So he stayed there two days. Many more people became believers because of the things he said. The people said to the woman, first we believed in Jesus because of what you told us. But now we believe because we heard him ourselves. We now know that he really is the one who will save the world. Thanks, June. It's a long passage, everyone, so big thanks. Uh, Pray with me. Father, we are thankful for your word, Uh, thankful that you communicate it to to us through stories like this, and ask that as we spend some time unfolding it this morning, Lord, that you would uh, be inviting our hearts to know you more deeply, to know your love more deeply, Lord, and that that would shape us into being uh, an invitational community. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in verse 29, uh, this woman who has had this very interesting encounter with Jesus, right? There are a lot of layers to it, and we're gonna pull apart just some of them this morning. In verse 29, she says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Come and see. And that's the phrase that I really want to stick in your mind this morning, come and see. And it'd be really easy to preach this as a, hey, just be like the woman, right? She says, come and see, so we say, come and see, great. But there's more to it than that. Because this woman is, is able to invite others to come and see Jesus only because she has seen Jesus, because she has experienced something with Jesus herself. And that, that right, that's what's driving this invitation forward for her. And that's, that's true about us as people, isn't it? For us to say to somebody else, hey, come and see, means that we have seen something that we believe is worth sharing. So I was trying to think about what in my life is like this for me? And the thing that came to mind was this Formula One documentary. No, guys, okay, I'm glad, I'm glad you thought that was a joke. I've talked about this the last two weeks, so that's not where we're going this week, okay? I was trying to think of something else. Uh, and what came to mind for me was actually far sillier. Did any of you ever watch Homestar Runner when you were growing up? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, finally, a few people connect with something that I connected with growing up. So when I was in middle school, uh, my friend, Blake Cram, came over and we got on our dial-up internet and he showed me this website called homestarrunner.com. And I, it was back in, you know, it was when the internet was very early, it was still like an innocent, sweet place. And Homestar Runner was this just very friendly cartoon character. And the website was all of these different 
short cartoons. And I thought they were, I still think, they're absolutely hilarious. And every time a friend came over to my house, what do you think we did? Just what you did, right? Got on our dial-up internet and, and waited for the page to load and we would watch through these cartoons together. I remember waking up uh, like multiple times a week and thinking, I gotta go check to see if there's a new cartoon up this morning, right? It just, I was so captivated by it. It was something that I wanted to tell people, you gotta come and see this. And it didn't even matter if they didn't think it was funny. Like maybe my wife doesn't think it's funny, but I still do. And even if the people that I was watching it with weren't laughing, I was laughing because I knew that the thing that I was watching was so good, right? So the question is then, for this woman, what is it about this interaction with Jesus that seems pretty strange, doesn't it? There's a lot happening here. What is it about this interaction with Jesus that, that is so good to her? What is the invitation? What is it, the invitation that Jesus gives to her? And why does she see it as so good? Okay, so let's look at verses 10 and 14 of this passage to start. It says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So that's, that's part of the invitation. Jesus is essentially offering this woman living water. And she's confused. Okay, so then he comes back down in 14, and he offers it again. This is verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the water of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, so what is that about, right? We can forgive the woman for being a little bit confused because uh, this is kind of a confusing offer. Like if you were, if you were sitting at, at a restaurant and, someone came, if, and your waiter said, hey, would you like sparkling still? or living water. You'd be like, this is very confusing, right? Uh, that's, that's kind of what this woman is experiencing right here. And to understand uh, why this offer of living water is so impactful, we kind of have to take a step out of our own context and think about what, just what water was in her context. Like we, we often underestimate the importance of water for our day-to-day -day lives. Because all we have to do is turn on a tap and it's there. But actually, water in the, like, in the history of the world is this thing that has driven, uh, is driven so much of, like, of, of human life. It's finding and securing sources of water. You know, even, even in the Western United States, this is a big deal. Like, people are fighting over the Colorado River like crazy. Who gets it? Who gets to drink from it? Who gets to water from it? Which state gets how much? The water rights are a big deal. And it was even an even bigger deal back then because every drop of water that you used had to, had to be fetched from somewhere and carried to where you wanted to use it. And if you think about uh, the ancient Near East, it was a pretty arid climate. It was very dry. And it only rained for a very limited amount of time in the year. And if it didn't rain as much as you wanted it to rain, that was it. And so all of life was built around being close to a place that you could find and get water. And there are still places in the world where people do what this woman had to do in this passage. Where someone every morning has to wake up and go to a well and get water and bring it back to the house. That in fact, people's day-to-day -day routines are built around 
even now, obtaining and bringing water back to, their, to the place where they live. So there was this very intimate connection between water and life that the people of this time would have understood on a, on a very kind of visceral level. But then the imagery that Jesus is pulling on, it's more than this general understanding of water being really important. He's also pulling on all of this Old Testament imagery about living water. So we're gonna talk about a few of those passages. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip with me to Isaiah 12. You can write it down, go look later. So this is Isaiah 12, three. It says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So what Isaiah is doing is he's talking about this time in the future. He's talking about the restoration of the nation of Israel. And he says, in that time, the best way for you to understand what it's gonna be like in the future when God comes and he makes everything right in the world is that you'll be able to go and draw water from the wells of salvation. Sounds a lot like living water, right? And this image of, of water being connected with salvation, it runs all throughout Isaiah. I'm gonna flip over to Isaiah uh, 41. This is verses 17 and 18. It says, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. So you have this picture of people who are in great need, who are desperate. It says, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on bare heights and fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. So we have this imagery of God bringing life to his people through, through water. And the thirst that he's talking about here is not a physical thirst. He's talking about a spiritual thirst. And God says, I have a desire. There will be a time in the future, he's telling his people in the Old Testament, well, I will come and quench your spiritual thirst. The imagery pops up again at the end of the Old Testament in Zechariah. I mean, we're in the Minor Prophets, so it even takes me a while to find it. Okay, so this is Zechariah 14, 8. Because on that day, so again, talking about this day in the future when God brings full salvation for his people. On that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And we think of the Cumberland, you know, as a river. It's always flowing, it's always full of water, but that wasn't true here. Rivers in this time or in this place were full part of the year and then were dry part of the year. And what the prophet is saying is that in this time that's coming, in this time when God brings his salvation, there will be living water that will flow out of Jerusalem for all people. And that river will always be running. The prophet Jeremiah speaks to this as well. This is Jeremiah 12, 3. It's in here, okay. It says, oh no. Guys, I wrote down the wrong reference on my notes. Ah, okay, maybe it's 2.13. There we go, okay, this is Jeremiah 2.13. So for my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So what Jeremiah is doing, is doing for us is he's drawing this connection between God himself and the living waters that he talks about. That living water is not this kind of abstract principle of salvation, that the living waters is God himself. That there will be a time where God comes and offers himself to his people and that will bring life to them. That's what the promise is all throughout the Old Testament. So when Jesus claims to be a fountain of living water, to bring a fountain of living water, he's claiming that the time is here when salvation has come for God's people and that salvation is gonna be for everyone. That that salvation is gonna bring wholeness and healing to all kinds of people. And what he tells this woman is that it's even possible that this water would come and it would be inside of you. But not only would you be connected to God through some kind of external means, but that God himself would come and take up a home inside of you. That you don't have to go and get something from God, that God is always with you, that he's always bringing life into you. That is the invitation that Jesus is offering to this woman in this passage. And if that's the depth of what he's offering her, uh, we can forgive her for being a little bit confused, right? That's a lot to take in. And yet, there's something about it that connects with her. Because what she says to Jesus is, sir, give me this water so that I will not have to be thirsty or come here to draw water. Okay, so she's still missing it a little bit, but she's getting something. Right, sir, give me this water. And then, then Jesus does something uh, that... I think it's kind of unexpected. He says to her, uh, go and call your husband and come here. What's going on there? Right, is this Jesus, uh, is this just the patriarchy at work? He's like, well, I'm not gonna talk to you anymore without your husband, right? Or does he wanna, does he wanna share something with her? He wanna share it to, with both of them? Like, well, Jesus, what are you doing here? And she answers him, sir, I have no husband. And he says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. Whoa. What is Jesus doing? Uh, when I was in middle school, I guess we're hearing a lot about my middle school uh, experiences right now. Uh, I, I went paintballing for the first time out this like long drive from my house with, with my youth group, so my dad's there. And, we're, and in, in, the first, in the first game, I got hit it right in the leg at very close range, very close range, okay? It hurt really bad. And what happened over the course of the morning is that uh, the place where the paintball hit me was, was fine, but right around that, there was this giant bruise for like inches all the way around the circle. And on the entire drive back to our house, my dad kept poking it in the car. He was like, oh, did you get hit right there? And I was like, what are you doing? That hurts so bad. And, and we'd, you know, the conversation would go on and then every, he'd just reach over and go, right there? Oh, the whole car ride. And I wish there was some spiritual connection to that. There's not. It just, it just hurt. <laughs> and it can seem like that's what Jesus, I mean, that's what Jesus is doing to this woman. Is he is going right to the place of her greatest pain. The place of her deepest sin of her darkest shame and he's, he's pointing at it, he's poking it. And he does it in a remarkably gentle way. He affirms her, yeah, you're telling the truth, just part of it, but you're all, you are telling part of it. But he's, but he's still poking it. 
And we know that it's the place of her greatest shame because it explains why she's coming to draw water from this well in the middle of the day. The passage tells us it's about the sixth hour, which means it's like six hours after the sun has has come up, which means it's the hottest part of the day, the time of the day that nobody else is gonna come to draw water. That's the worst time to do it, right? Because the sun's beating down on you, you gotta carry this big thing. She's there in the middle of the day because she's trying to avoid all the other women in the town. That drawing water was a really, it was a social event. And she doesn't want to be seen by or interact with anybody else, and so she's coming alone. Because the, the choices that she has made and the things that have been done to her have separated her from her community. That at that time, the kind of the rabbis of the day taught that three marriages was like the, the most you were allowed. That was tops. And that's not a biblical standard, that was kind of their interpretation of scripture. Like any more than three is not good. And this woman had had five. She was the kind of woman that people were always whispering about, you know, buying their hands. And then when she came, everyone stopped talking. And then Jesus says something more than that. He says, and the husband that you're with now is not really your husband. That she had gotten to this point where she gave up on the institution of marriage. And so she's living with, she's sleeping with this guy who's not her husband, which this wasn't a cultural tradition. This is very clear in the biblical narrative. That's, that's outside of God's boundaries. And Jesus puts his finger right on that. And we have to imagine for this woman, you don't go through five marriages uh, because they were all really healthy, right? Maybe some of those husbands die. We don't know. It seems unlikely that all five of them would have that there is really something else going on in her life. And what this means is not only had she made choices that hurt her, but she was also probably a victim in a lot of ways. There are ways that this woman had been victimized by the men in her life. That what what had been done to her and what she had done came together to isolate her from everybody in her community. It was the place of her deepest sin and her darkest shame. And that is specifically the place that when Jesus promises, when he invites her to come and experience life, and she says, yes, I want that, even in a very small way, that's the place that Jesus pokes. And that's because Jesus is passionate about her receiving life. even in the places of her darkest sin and her deepest shame that he's passionate about in that place, her receiving life. And the passage that we read in Jeremiah 2 kind of clarifies it for us. Because what's the choice that's always before us is that we would come to God, the fountain of living waters, that we would drink from him and find life. But what we often do and what this woman had done, what we do in our sin is that we, we go and we, we create our own wells. We dig our own holes to find water. And what Jeremiah tells us is the water that we find in those holes, it's not good. It's stagnant. It's muddy. And that those cisterns, they can't hold water. All of the life drains out of them. And yet, those are the places we go back to time and time and time and time again. And what Jesus is doing for this woman is he's exposing that in her life so that she can turn from those things and she can come and experience life in him instead. He's calling her out of one life into an entirely new life. He's calling her out of this story that has been over her, that has been spoken over her, that she's participated in, and he's calling her into an entirely different way of living because of how much he loves her. 
And this is a woman who is on the margins in every way imaginable. And this is the woman that Jesus came to to say, I want to invite you to experience life, to experience it abundantly. And that's true for us. That those, those places of great pain in our lives, the place of your, of your greatest, of your darkest sin, of your deepest shame, that those are precisely the places that Jesus desires to come to you and to bring life. Exactly there. That's why we talk about that the coming here isn't about polishing yourself up to come to church. It's about bringing y- you exactly where you are because that's the you that Jesus loves and wants to be with. That all of the narratives that we have written in our lives, that we have let shame write in our lives, that those are the stories that Jesus wants to undo and redo with something so much greater. That's the place that Christ has come for you and for me. To turn us away from these broken cisterns that can't hold water and to call us to himself. And that's the invitation that this woman received. That's the invitation to her that was so good that she would then run back to the town with all the people who had shamed her, right? All the people she's trying to avoid and that she would say to them, come and see, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. So this thing that she's been trying to hide and keep down, the thing that causes her all this shame, it's actually what she brings forward to the people in the town and says with that, hey, you know all this stuff, I know all this stuff, but this guy who doesn't know me knows all this stuff, come and see him. Could he be the Christ? Come and see, come and see, come and see. And they do. The whole town pours out to come and to see Jesus. And there's this whole part of the passage that we didn't read where Jesus is interacting with his disciples. And he tells them, the field is white with harvest. What he's telling them is there are people all over who need to come and see me. And you didn't prepare the harvest, you didn't work for it, but you get to participate in bringing it in. And when the disciples look up and he says, look up and see the field is white for the harvest, what they saw was this Samaritan village streaming out to meet them and to see Jesus. They got to participate in watching Jesus uh, meet with and care for and love and communicate truth to these people. They were invited into it. That's the same invitation that we have received from Jesus that we've been invited to come and see him and that then we're invited to participate with him in saying, come and see. Not come and see us, but come and see him. Okay, so what does that look like for us? For us to be that kind of come and see community? Well, there are a few places that we have that you can say to other people, come and see. Come and see, like in this space, you'll come and see Jesus. Uh, Sunday morning is one of those places. And the way that, the, when we're planning this service, uh, we're thinking about people being here who m- might not have been to church ever. And we're thinking about, what would it be like to be here if you haven't been to church in a long time? And there's no way for us to make what happens here on Sunday morning not feel weird if you have never been in church. It's just a little bit weird sometimes, right? Where else are you here singing with, all, singing with people kind of all facing one direction? That doesn't happen anywhere else in life, right? We can't make that a normal thing. 
But what we are constantly trying to think about is how do we make it as, uh, how do we try to make sure there are as few barriers as possible? The people being here and getting to come and see Jesus. And our hope is that Sunday morning would be a place that you could say that to the people in your life. Maybe people who, who do know Jesus, because there are a lot of people in our community who, who, who have been Christians, who might identify as believers, but have been away from church for a long time, or who kind of in this uh, place in life where everything has been disrupted and we're all trying to figure out what is my new normal, that are looking for a place to come and belong, that this would be a place on Sunday mornings we could say, hey, come and see. Small group, another place that we hope uh, you could say come and see to people who, uh, who are in your life that we're working really hard, especially this semester. I'm telling you guys, every question that I'm writing for these guides, I'm asking myself, could someone who has not been to church for a long time answer this question? And we're, we're re- really working on it. Ashley helps me a lot with this. How do we take out all of like the churchy language and the questions and just ask a question that anybody can engage with? That's what we're really trying to do because we want group to be a place that you could say to somebody, hey, come and see Jesus here. We're uh, working with a, a men's team and a women's team to kind of restart those ministries in our church. We have people who have been doing events uh, for men and for women for a long time that we're so thankful for. And we've been talking about, man, how do we focus those events and make them places that it's really easy to say to somebody, hey, come and see. Maybe someone doesn't want to come and see at church, right? Or come and see at small group. Maybe that's like too, too much. And our hope is that these men's events, these women's events would be really easy places to say, hey, come and see. Come and see this community that I really enjoy. Come and see this group of people who has loved me so well. Come and meet my friends. Come and see. And then when people come, what they would see is this community loving each other really well, and in seeing that, they'd be seeing Jesus. Okay, one of our other come and sees for the semester, I'm really excited about this one. We're gonna do a trivia night. (laughs) Yes, huh? Got some claps for that. Uh, And our hope is that this would be something that we could offer uh, everybody in our community could say, hey, would you think about forming a trivia team uh, with some people that you already know and, and like, like and love who are maybe a part of this community with you? And then would you guys think about who would you invite to be a part of this trivia team who maybe isn't already in this room with you? And the idea there, again, is just to create another space where we can say, hey, come and see. Come and see these people that I spend so much time with. Come and enjoy a good time together and see that this is actually a community that you could be a part of. Come and see. And when we talk about all these places you can come and see, it can sound like we're just talking about events, okay? And that's not true. When we say come and see, we want people to come and to, and to see Jesus. And the way that we, we do that is that it's more than just getting people to come into a building. That's not the point. Uh, it's to draw them into relationship, even with us. Which means the way that we interact with each other and in all these spaces that we just talked about, it matters, Right? But as a community, we would, not just being, we would not just be giving formal invitations, but that when someone shows up here with us, uh, that we would be a people who greet them with a welcoming attitude and heart. I was talking to a friend this week, and she said, the reason I came back to Midtown East week after week is that it was the only place that I went that people remembered my name week to week. That I could be new, and someone heard my name, and the next week, someone still remembered my name. Like, oh. Yes, that is what we want this community to be like, isn't it? But friends, I, that's not something that the paid staff of this church can do. 
We're talking about the culture of our community, and that's a culture that we are all participating in together. And if you want to be a part of a church like that, that means that you've got to learn people's names, right? I'm not very good at it, but I have a note on my phone. And when I meet new people, I try to write it down and then review it before I come to church on Sunday so that God will help me. I can remember at least some of the names of the new people that I've met. Right? That, you see how that has got to be really practical. How would we actually become that kind of welcoming community? It's true for a small group, right? That if someone invites someone to your small group, what, what do you want that person to experience? Your small group as an open, welcoming place, right? Which means someone from your group has to talk to that person and not just the person that invited them. We've all been that person. It's so awkward when you come to a new place and you're wondering, does anyone here want to talk to me and then no one talks to you? Ah. Now that we would be a come and see community that when people choose to come and see what they would experience from us is the welcoming heart of Jesus. Because what we're after is not just events and not just us treating people with welcoming hearts is that our hearts would be welcoming, would be invitational like the heart of Jesus is welcoming and invitational. That we'd be a people who say come and see and that that would even mean that we open up our hearts and our lives to the people around us. Because what we believe is that this is the place that God has called us. That the people around us are the people that God has called us to. And so for that reason, we can with confidence open up our hearts and our lives to them and say, hey, come and see. Come and see my Jesus. I just want to leave you with two questions. Where in your life is Jesus asking you to come and see? Where in your life is Jesus asking you to come and see? And the way that you can discern that is by looking for the pain points in your life. So that, right there, right? Where is that happening in your life? Where uh, is the place of your darkest sin or your deepest shame right now? And would you trust that Jesus wants to meet you there to bring wholeness and healing into that part of your life? In a few minutes, um, the worship team's gonna come back up and they're gonna lead us in a song and then a corporate confession. We're gonna read it together. It's a great time to be thinking about, Lord, this is what I'm bringing to you is this place that you're inviting me to say, come and see. And then what you're gonna hear is an assurance of pardon. We're gonna read a verse that promises us that when we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. It's a way of us taking just a, a step into that place that Jesus is calling you and your life to come and see. And then the other question is, uh, who right around you is Jesus inviting you to invite? Who right around you is Jesus inviting you to invite? And it could be here. It could be a small group. It could be to a men's event that you hasn't even been announced yet, right? Or it could just be into your heart to say, hey, would you, would you, you wouldn't, exact, you wouldn't exactly say this. Hey, come into my life and meet this Jesus, right? but the person that you would invite over for dinner, that you would have coffee with, that you would, you would choose to say, I wanna be more intentional with inviting this person deeper into my life. So where is Jesus inviting you to come and see? And where is he inviting you? Who is he inviting you to invite to come and see him? Pray with me.
Jesus, we thank you and praise you for the fact that you have a, a warm, welcoming, invitational heart. Lord, we, uh, like this woman, are, are so needy. Lord, that if you had come for powerful, powerful people, for influential people, Lord, for people who have it all together, uh, you would not have come for us because we are a people who have great need. And so we thank you and praise you for the fact that you have come um, to those who are on the margins, to those who are needy, because that means that you have a heart that's open to us. Lord, as we, as we worship, as we, as we praise you, Lord, would you be showing us the places in, your, in our lives that you're calling us to come and see? Lord, we pray that you would make us the kind of community that says that to the people around us, that would say, come and see this Jesus who has changed my life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.